We're continuing our series, thinking of uh, healthy living. As uh, those of you that have been part of the church family for a while, we've been kind of recognised that in the, in society, the whole there's a kind of real drive to be healthy, healthy eating habits, healthy drinking habits, exercise, and looking after the body, and fitness regimes, and all the rest of it. And all of those things are very good. It's good good to look after our bodies. The body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, created in the, in the image of God. But actually, what does it mean to be healthy? spiritually, to have a healthy spirituality and to be a healthy church, a place of growth, a place of fruitfulness. Healthy things grow. Um, Beth and Steve have just had their beautiful little daughter. Um, babies, you don't have to kind of shout at them and cajole them to grow. They grow really, really quickly, ridiculously quickly. Um, plants that are in a healthy context will grow. And growth happens in all sorts of ways within church. Numerically, we've seen growth here. It's wonderful. But also growth spiritually in our own lives. And God wants us to grow spiritually. And so what does it mean to be healthy, to have a healthy context where God's life can flow through us? So we've been looking at a whole load of um, different aspects of healthy, uh, healthy spirituality, healthy eyes, healthy hearing. Um, and tonight we're thinking um, about healthy understanding of giving. And so, as I said at the beginning, those who um, were here a few months back, we looked at the whole area of stewardship and giving. And so, in a sense, this sermon is a bit of a repeat of that. Not least of all, as I said, because uh, the recording didn't work that, that night and lots of people wanted to listen to the sermon again. Um, so, we are recording tonight, aren't we, John? Because I'm not going to do this again. <laughs> um, so, so, we're going we're to record this. It will be on the web. But also, I think it's really good to look at this stuff. But the truth is, when anyone in a church context talks about money and giving, it's enough to drive fear into the heart of most congregations, um, particularly those of you that are visitors. So, uh, uh, but I don't want to apologise for talking about money and giving, because actually, I think it's really important. I think it's often one of the big criticisms that's levelled at the churches. The church is always after people's money. Um, we often see, don't we, churches with big thermometers on the outside saying we need this to repair the roof. And of course, we do need to repair our roof. In fact, to replace our roof. But we're not going to put a big thermometer on the outside of the building. And often people, certainly when I grew up going to church, the plate would pass around and you know, people would suddenly realise, particularly visitors would suddenly realise that the plate's coming their way and panickingly kind of search in their pockets for a few coppers to kind of embarrassingly drop into the plate as it went past. And there was a sort of pressure to give, but how much do you give? What's right to give? Is it okay to not give? And, and all sorts of questions come up about that then. And it's often hard to talk about money because of a culture that we've sometimes created. It's also hard, perhaps, to talk about money, and it's important to say this, that first and foremost, I don't know how much anyone gives. I don't want to know how much anyone gives. As vicar, I will never know how much people give because that's between them and God. And the system that we have in the church here is that you can give uh, anonymously. There's you know, a basket that we leave up on here that people put money in. Most people who give in an organised kind of way do it through... Um, standing orders and that sort of system and in that case it's just the tre treasurer in the church who processes that who knows and I don't ever want to know and I never will know I don't know how much any of you earn and what you give secondly I know that within church within a church like this there's going to be all sorts of people in all sorts of different situations and different levels of understanding and theology on the whole thing of giving some, perhaps new to the church, may not have even thought about the fact that perhaps it's part of discipleship 
in giving, in stewarding our money, in giving to Christian causes, especially the life and ministry and work of the church, that that is actually part of being a faithful disciple because often we don't talk about these things. Or of those who do give, some of you may be already giving a, a brilliant amount, the right amount perhaps, whatever the right amount is. Some of us may well need to think about giving more, but there may well also be some people in the church who actually maybe are giving too much. All of those are realities. But the problem is if we don't talk about giving and money, and we don't teach about those things, then no one is ever going to really know about that. So we want to look at what does God say about giving? What does God say about finances? What does the Bible have to say about it? And what does that mean for us? We live in financially pressured days, don't we? That's the reality for many people. It's tough financially. Maybe things are a little bit better, but actually lots of businesses are closing. Lots of pensions are being affected. Lots of security and banks are uncertain. It's not always straightforward. But yet, even in the midst of that, I know for me when I go out, I'm, I'm generous with the amount of coffee that I buy myself. We can be generous with the amount of money we spend on our mobile phones or our properties. We can generous be, uh, to be generous to ourselves about where we go on holiday. <laughs> or about the amount of shopping that we put in our trolleys when we go out. So are we generous to God? Are we generous with others? And that's the, part, that's the starting point of where I want to begin. And in, in a sense, it's the beginning and the end of everything I want to say tonight is about generosity. I think God wants us to have a heart of generosity towards one another and towards God. And not because he's telling us to, but because that is very much in the nature of who God is. Our God is a generous God. While we were still sinners, he gave Christ to the world. God is a God who wants to give, and not just give a bit, but give lavishly, give generously. Give far more than we deserve. And we're made in the image of God. So I think within us there should be that echo within all of humanity. Actually, we do see it, don't we? You know, it's not just Christians who can be generous. In this country, in Britain, the amount that's given away to charity is staggering. But actually it flies in the face of evolution in humanity because when we see people on television who are starving, those of us who are well you know, got good food and good resources, we should go, oh, well, there's some less, less people to worry about. They're going to die off and the strong will get stronger. That's kind of evolution. But there's something within humanity that looks at people struggling and needy and something says, oh, I wish I could help. And so whether it's Band-Aid or Water Aid or all the kind of crusades to kind of get, there's something within a child line and all the kind of raising money, there's something within humanity that often wants to try and meet need, that often wants to try and help. Now sometimes we make up excuses why not to, or we give to appease our conscience. I, I get all of that. But I think within human beings, there's a heart that wants to give away, to help, to, to minister. And that, I believe, is an echo of the Creator. We're made in His image. Because God's heart is to bless. God's heart is to give. God's heart is to heal and reach out. That's what God is calling us to. And I think when we understand the heart of the Father, we understand his generosity towards the world, towards humanity and towards me, then it begins to affect my heart. It messes with my mind and my heart so that how can I think of being anything other than generous? And we'll talk about what that generosity looks like in a moment. So in a sense, when I talk about 
having a healthy understanding of giving, it begins and ends with the concept of the generosity of God. I want to play uh, a quick clip to you by Rick Warren. Many of you will know Rick Warren. Um, He's a real good, solid man of God, man of the word and a man of the spirit who has grown many churches over in the States particularly, but has a really kind of accessible ministry and a lot of wisdom into a lot of areas. And I want to play this short clip of YouTube. Um, Many of you will know we're slightly connected to HTB Network of Churches. I kind of trained up there and we've been to many of their uh, leadership conferences. A couple of us went last year to their leadership conference. Uh, I think it was back in 2012, Rick Warren went to um, the HTB Network of Churches to their leadership conference and he was interviewed about lots of lots of lots of things. But he had some really helpful reflections um, and testimony on the whole area of giving and generosity. Um, I, I hope we've got sound on this, John. We're just going to play this. Just two minutes, just a bit of testimony. Let's pop this up. To materialism, which is the temptation to have, I see it and I want it, is, is generosity. And generosity is you can give without loving but you cannot love without giving if you want to become like Christ which is by the way the goal of life Romans 8:29 you must learn to be generous and you must learn to be more and more generous every year and that's been a, a long journey in my life which just just say what you've done in terms of your own life in terms of generosity When Kay and I got married 37 years ago, we made a commitment that we would be more generous every single year. So when we got married 37 years ago, we first started with the basic tithe, 10%. Tithe means 10%. The Bible says in Malachi 3, if you're not tithing, you're robbing God. It's God's money. So we made a commitment when we got married, God gets paid first in our life. Not leftovers, God gets paid first. We may be in debt to everybody else, but we are not going to be in debt to God. The first 10% goes to God. At the end of our first year of marriage, we raised our tithe to 11%. At the end of our second year of marriage, we raised it to 12%. At the end of our third year of marriage, we raised it to 13%. On years that we would um, get a raise or things would go good, we'd raise it 3 or 4%. On years that we were flat broke and the cupboard was bare and we were barely making it, we'd raise it a quarter of a percent. Because every year we were going to be more generous. Now, we weren't doing this to show off, Nikki. I didn't tell anybody about it for nearly 30 years. Um, but we each year we kept raising it and raising it and raising it. Um, this last year we raised it another percent. Uh, Kay and I give away 91% and live on nine. Now, I I have lived in a... I've been playing this game with God for 37 years, where God says, Okay, Rick, we're going to play this game. You give to me, and I'll give to you, and we'll see who wins. <laughs> I have lost that game for 37 years. You cannot outgive God. I dare you. I dare you. It's challenging. But it's great. I, 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 you know, what I know of Rick, he's a man of integrity, and, and that's what they've done. That's how he's chosen to do that. Now, is God asking us all to do that? No. I don't think God is asking everyone to do that. But it's one of those weird things in the Bible. God says, test me in this. It's one of the rare occasions. God is trying to say to us, you can trust me. You can't outgive me. Because I'm the God who has everything. 
Everything I have, I long to give for you. God has got a generous heart and he longs for his creation to share in that joy of generosity because I believe that that's kind of very much at the heart of who God is and who he's longing for his church to be. God is looking for a generous church. And of course, when we talk about this stuff, we talk about the church. We know when we dream of what church should be, we're a new church here in this community. And already we've done loads of great stuff in the community, and that's great. But I hope we dream of doing more, of blessing more of the households down in Dolmead, of helping to kind of connect, connect with some of them where they're really struggling with food or with some of them got no toys for their kids and we've tried to do practical stuff down there. Or whether it's just visiting and helping some of the lonely or the vulnerable in our community. We want to be generous with our time, generous with our resources. We want to give away stuff. We want to give away the use of this building and give away some of the resources that we have. We want to do that. Not to earn a name for ourselves, we don't care about any of that stuff, but in order to try and just love people. And you can't love people without giving, it's just it, the two tie together. But of course, we talk about doing that as a church, but who's the church? Well, we're church. So it has to start in here, it has to start in my life as a leader. I can't talk about the church, my church being really generous, if I'm not living that out in my life. So my prayer is, Lord, would you help me to be more generous? Would you help me to have more faith in you so that I can give away more? More of what you've given to me. This is the strap line for for, for our parish. A church community that reaches out to the parish and beyond to invite people to encounter God's grace. Now we're going to be looking at that as we're a new church and a new parish. We're going to be looking at perhaps kind of the the strap line, if you like, that God wants to give us in this new phase of life. But I kind of like that. We're called to invite people to encounter God's grace. So we're inviting them to encounter a God who is what? Generous, right? You believe that God's generous? We're inviting them to encounter this God who's generous. So therefore I think there's onus on us to demonstrate that, to live that in our own personal lives. God, I believe, by his spirit, is seeking to create a culture of generosity that touches every person in our church so that we can be a community that God's longing for, a place of generosity. And there's lots of challenges to that. Challenges of fear, challenges of anxiety, challenges of, but will I have enough? Luke 12:13 says, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Um, Rick was talking about this culture of materialism that we are part of. And, and it's here, it's all around us, it's in my own life. I recognize it in my own heart at times. And in church culture in the West, it's kind of riddled with materialism still. And I think he's right. I fundamentally believe that one of the best ways of breaking the power of materialism is to give stuff away is to be generous because it can often lock up our hearts be on your guard against all kinds of greed a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions and it says this in Luke 6.3 give and it will be given to you a good measure pressed down shaken together and running over will be poured into your lap for with the measure you use it will be measured to you now, it's important that you hear this. I am not saying, you know, you get those get quick get rich kind of things on the internet. Buy this book and within 12 chapters you will become a millionaire. You'll learn the secret of my success. Well, what was the secret of his success? 
writing a book about the secret of his success, which he's selling to you. And we can get suckered into those kind of things, right? We think there's a quick way of making money, so we buy the book, which makes him rich and makes me angry. That stuff doesn't really kind of work. And I'm not talking about a strategy to get rich. Okay, let's give away loads of money so that God gives loads to me. (laughs) There's something kind of slightly twisted in that. And it doesn't kind of work in quite that way. But what God is saying is, but the truth is, and I know it in my own life, and I know we know it here, that you can't outgive God. I love the fact that Rick is giving, and that was now three years ago, so it's probably more than that, four years ago. I don't know what rate he's at now giving away. I love the fact that in 2012 he was giving away 91% of his income. That's just bonkers, isn't it? 91% of his income he gives away. And his wife's agreed to that. That's what I think is really great about it. It's not just some gung-ho idiot who's just gone, right, I'm going to give away all our money, and the wife goes, what? But I've got to buy food for the house. Now they've agreed in this together. That's really important. I think that's really important for husbands and wives to kind of find agreement in that. But actually I love the fact that he's giving that away. And it's almost like a game with God. The more God gives him, the more, the more he's able to give away. I love that. But it does say here, give and it will be given to you. And I think sometimes the temptation is that we close our hand because we're afraid. Or because resources are scarce. Or because we're worried about what we're going to lose. And our fist becomes like this. And when our hand is clenched tight holding on to what we have because of fear, it's really hard to receive anything, right? Can you see that? Because my hand's closed. I remember doing a youth camp many, many years ago. I used to do lots of youth camps and God did incredible things over the year. But I remember one particular youth camp where loads and loads of kids got saved. It was a really funny camp and I haven't got time to talk about it now. But one night, I think it was about the second night in, they had a, a tuck shop, and one of the kids had obviously got been given a load of money by his parents, and he came, he came into the tuck shop, and they would sell little bags of 10p, you know, little chews, and you'd get 10, 10 p, you know, 10 chews for 10p. And he came in with a 10, 10 pound note, and said, I want these all in penny chews. <laughs> and the person behind the counter was like, no, you're joking, right? He said, no, I want them all. So the counter said, how many, is that 10 pound? What's, what's that, 1,000? Thousand chews. So they kept, so they got these two boxes, and the poor woman was counting them out. Literally a thousand on the count. I walked in there up to about four hundred. Like, what are you doing? This person wants. So anyway, he had this bag of a thousand chews. Now this camp probably had about a hundred teenagers, and for the first three days. This kid was going around saying, do you want some chews? Do you want some sweets? And he was kind of like lavishing them around with everyone. And everyone, he was everyone's best friend, this kid. And, and he was, because he was just giving, because he had a thousand sweets, and he was just giving these things away. He was like the most generous person on the planet. And, and, and I could see this, what was going to happen. You know, day one, he got this massive, and it was like a carrier bag, and he was kind of flinging them out to people walking around. We went out on a day trip to Burnham-on-Sea, anyway. But anyway, and he was giving them away to people in the street. Just some sweets. Day three, his bag had dwindled right the way down, to, and he had this tiny little bag. He only had a few left. And people would come up to him and say, can I have some sweets? And he'd be like, no. No, they're mine. Because he suddenly realised that he'd given everything away, and actually the few that he had left... He suddenly thought, I'm giving all my sweets away. And everyone wanted some, but he wasn't willing to give any. And, and suddenly he went from this to this. And sometimes fear or anxiety or scarce resources will cause us to pull back. I get that. And God is generous. God is kind. 
And the days we live in can often make us feel afraid or nervous. So we pull back. We, we, we say, no, I, I don't want to give that. I, I'm, I, I'm scared. And I understand. And God is so gracious. He doesn't beat us up about it. But what it prevents, I think, is receiving the blessing that God wants to. Where God wants to, but I can provide for you. And instead of having a closed fist, sometimes we take a risk and we open our hand. And we say, well, the little I have, I'll offer. Not in a foolish, stupid way, but in a way that says, well, I'll give what I can give. And as we open our hand, we discover that God often wants to pour more into our palm. Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. So here's four quick things I want to whiz through. Giving to God does four things. I think it does more than four things. But these are four things that I think are really helpful for us. Giving to God with a generous heart allows us to know, to really know God as provider. Here's a passage in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. It's probably a bit small for you to see. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hand has produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. I studied economics at A-level along with British social economic history and some of you in this room who are far brighter than me have a real grasp on economics, I'm sure. In these days we live in now where we're talking about leaving Europe or staying in Europe, I don't know who to believe anymore about the whole thing of economics. But I do know this is true. Psalm 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. All of creation, all that we have, all that I own, all that I possess, all that is mine, actually is the Lord's. It belongs to him. And God longs for us to be stewards of God's abundant grace to us. He wants us to be stewards and to be accountable for that. 1 Chronicles 29.14, this is King David speaking. He says this to the people, But who am I and my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we've given you only what comes from your hand. See, sometimes in church culture people talk about tithing, and tithing is an Old Testament concept of giving 10%. Some of you here will have decided that a tithe, a bit like Rick was saying when they first got married, that they thought 10%. Sometimes it's helpful to think of figures, sometimes it's unhelpful. But an Old Testament concept was that the first 10% of what came in from your crops or your harvest or your wealth, the first 10%, the tithe, you just gave to God. And you gave it and it was used in the temple and it was given to the poor and it was used for, for building God's kingdom. And whether it's a tenth or whether it's a, another way of working out what proportion it is, the truth is what we're saying in that is that I'm giving you this tenth. But I think a more helpful way round of thinking about it is that actually God gives us everything we have. You know, and I get to keep, if it's a tenth, I get to keep 90% of everything that God gives me. It's incredible. God gives us so much. And he is our provider because everything comes from him. Communism says the state owns everything and the state provides for us. Capitalism says we own everything. We provide for ourselves. But I think actually what's truth is that God owns everything and he's our provider and he will provide 
for us. And in giving, in giving to the church, in giving to ministry, in giving to God's kingdom, you're saying, God, I trust you. You own everything and you will take care of me. You will take care of our needs. God can do that. God wants to do that. God is our provider. I, used, I worked for the George Muller Foundation for many years in Bristol. Some of you will have heard of George Muller. He set up foundation for orphans and um, he saw incredible miracles throughout his whole life. He was a man of faith who prayed every penny, every pound into the foundation. He never asked anyone for money. His charity made a commitment that they would never send out letters to ask for money. They would never petition people for money. They would never write to the bank and ask for loans, that he would simply pray and trust God. An incredible man of faith. The foundation is still running today and works on exactly the same principles. We would never ask for money, but if a project came our way where there was need working with vulnerable children or youth or working with the elderly as well, we would have to pray that money in. And sometimes we would see ridiculous answers to prayer. One I've shared with this before with some of you. One day I came into the staff meeting, we'd have a team meeting at 10 o'clock in the foundation every day and pray praying around this desk where George Muller would sit and pray every morning. And we had the, the school team that I was helping to run was down in the basement, and in the basement there were some rats, which was not good. And they, they were saying this problem was getting worse. So we prayed about the problem of rats. And I remember sitting in this meeting thinking, we're praying about a problem of rats. This is madness. Why don't we just put some traps down? You know, but we prayed. I kid you not, the next morning I came in at 10 o'clock, and in the mo- that morning... On the doorstep was a black cat. I opened the door and this cat ran into the foundation and he's still there to this day and there were no more rat problems. No one knows where this cat came from, no one knows who it belonged to, but it lived in the house for the years that I was there and the rat problem was gone. I believe that God is our provider in the big things and in giving a cat that gets rid of rats, God can provide for us. Another time I was there, there was a request from the council, would we be involved in a youth project? It was going to cost a lot of money financially and they were inviting us as a Christian organisation to, to partner with them and help resource this youth projects working with vulnerable young people. And the director of the foundation said, it sounds like a really good project, we'd love to do it, but we're not sure that God wants us to be involved with it. And the council kind of said, okay, what does that mean? And, he, and he, we simply said, well, if God gives us the money to do it, then we know it's his will. But we can't commit until we know God has given us the money for it and God will provide because we believe God's our provider. And the guy said, okay, but I need to know by next Wednesday. <laughs> so we said, okay. So this, I think, was on the previous Monday, so it was a week and a half, and we prayed every day, Lord, do you, do you... And it was a specific amount of money. It was many, many tens of thousands of pounds. And we waited, and we waited, and we heard no reply. The man was, had phoned on the day before, on the Tuesday, to say, have you made a decision? And we said, well, we haven't made a decision because the money hasn't come in, um, but we'll let you know tomorrow at lunchtime, which was the deadline. Wednesday morning, about an hour before we had to tell the council, we had a phone call from America. And in America, it turns out someone had died many, many years ago. About 30 years, um, a person had died and left a legacy for the George Muller Foundation. And what was remarkable was that the sum of money that was being left was exactly the sum of money that had been asked for by the council to be involved in this project. It was incredible. But that's not the really, really incredible thing. See, the really incredible thing was that this person had died, I think, about 15 years before. And the money had been tied up with lawyers for 15 years. When it had been left 15 years before, the amount of money was a lot smaller. 
but it had been left in trust because it was tied up by the lawyers. And the day it was released, within an hour, was the time that we needed the money for this project. I heard the director phone the council and said, yes, we've got the money this morning. We paid it in and it's arrived and so we can be involved in the project. God is a provider. Now, I don't understand how God works all those details out, but he can because he is the provider. When we trust God and we give, we see that God is our provider. The second thing I quickly want to say is this. Giving to God allows you to overcome financial fear and worry. When we give away, I think it breaks something in us. It breaks a fear. And it releases something, which is faith. We heard in that passage tonight, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid, go home and do as you have said. For this is what the Lord your God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry. See, at that point she had no food left. She had no resources left. And Elijah was asking her to prepare a last meal. It would have been easy to say, I can't do that, I'm too afraid. But she trusted God somehow in the midst of that story and she obeyed and she gave away. And it broke something, and God's miracle flowed out of it. God wants to show us that he's a God who can overcome fear and replace it with faith. Often we have a fear of poverty, or a fear a poverty mentality. But God wants to break that and do incredible things. Another George Muller story that's true, that's, that's written in the archives of the diaries, uh, in, in, in the orphanage, one of the orphanages that he ran, one particular orphanage, I think they had about 120 children. They had no food that morning. So he got all the children sat at the tables, and as he did every day, he came in and he said to the children, we're going to say grace. And the kind of the staff looked at him and thought, we haven't got any food. And he said, thank you, Lord, for the food that you will provide for us. He said grace. All the orphans said, amen. And at that moment, there was a knock at the door, there's the archive records written of this. And a baker's at the door saying, I've got a problem. I've got a lorry load of buns that I can't get rid of. Would they be helpful for you? And he said, yes, can you come put them on the table, please? And they fed the orphans. Giving to God, trusting in God and giving away lavishly allows God to help break the power of fear in our lives. The third thing I want to say is that giving to God allows you to bring order to your life and finances. Proverbs 23.4 says this. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches, and they're gone. For they'll surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. This is what it says in the message. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Restrain yourself. Riches disappear in the blink of an eye. Wealth sprouts wings and flies off into the blue yonder. Often our financial life is in disorder, it's in chaos often, I think that's the truth. Deuteronomy 14 says, set aside a tenth of all you produce first. It's like God's saying, you know, we can sort out all our finances and where we're going to invest money for our pension and we can worry about paying the bills and then we get to the end of the list and we think, oh, perhaps I should give a bit of money to God's church or to ministry or to mission. And God's saying, well, that's great that you want to give something, but maybe that needs to come first. And it's a bit like this. I, you know, I'm, I'm getting to a certain age now where I wear cardigans. And um, I've got a couple of cardigans that I really like, that I'm not sporting at the moment because it's almost quite warm. Um, and they've got lots of buttons. And there's nothing more frustrating or when you're in a hurry going to work and you put a shirt on, you start buttoning it up, buttoning it up, and you get to the bottom one 
and you realise that you've got them wrong. So you have to undo them all again and start again. The point is this, if you get the first button right, all the rest just line up. And I think it's like that with our finances and our understanding of giving. If we give to God and we consider our response in giving to the church and to ministry and to the kingdom first, I believe that because of the nature of God's ways, that the rest all follows on. We mustn't wear a coat that's buttoned out of order. Malachi 3.10 Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not, that you'll not have room enough for it. Number four. Giving to God allows you to fight the power of materialism and experience more joy. This really is what I think um, Rick was talking about. It breaks something in us as we choose to live a life of generosity, as we choose to give to needs, to needs as we see them, but also strategically to say, I'm going to give to God my best. Not just the remnant, but I'm going to consider my giving to God first. Christ has given us everything. And I think God is asking us to be like him, to be generous-spirited, generous-hearted. I think it's an act of obedience to God as we're generous, as we give to God's work. It's about being a faithful steward of what God has given us. And actually, there's a joy that comes in it. There's a joy that comes as we give. I love thinking of creative ways. I've shared this before when I was last speaking on it. I love to be creative. I shared when I went out for a meal when Sarah and I were first married and we really had no money. I was working for a church in Bristol. We had hardly any money and we, uh, we were in a restaurant and I went to pay the bill and someone had already paid it for us. And I was like, how did they know that? We weren't here. Someone had obviously walked past the restaurant and seen it. Now that's something I've now done many times in other situations. I love it. I love secretly, spontaneously, creatively doing crazy things. Whether it's paying for someone in the car behind on a toll bridge, that's always quite a fun one. That always really freaks them out. You pay for yourself and you say, oh, in the car behind, and they think that you're travelling together. And I'd love to be in that car, the one behind. We've done that a number of times. It's really fun. And we drive off waving at them, and they think, why are they waving at us? And they get, there, they get to pay, and they say, oh, no, the car in front paid for you. Who are these people? Now, it's not that I, you know, we, we drive really slowly and we hold up a kind of, we hold out a why Jesus as they drive past, you know. We're not talking about trying to nap evangelism in that sort of way. But we just want to bless people. We want, I want to teach my children to be ludicrously creative in their generosity. Because it starts getting into your system because that's how God is with us. He doesn't strategically think, right, oh, well, this morning, Tim's been quite good this week. That wasn't a bad sermon. I'm going to be generous to him. What can I... God just lavishly is generous to us. Not because we deserve it, not because we've earned it, but because he's a father who loves to bless his children. Sometimes with my own children, I just love to be generous with them. Sometimes really undeservedly. Sometimes they deserve not a blessing. But you know what? I love them. And sometimes I love to be a father and lavishly give, give to them much more than they deserve. Can you be creative? I don't like talking about stories about myself because it sounds like I'm bigging myself up. But just as an illustration, Sarah and I were on a day off once. We were at um, a National Trust place. And there was a, a lady, two in front of us, who was paying for her lunch. And um, her credit card didn't work. 
and she was getting really flustered and embarrassed, as she would in that situation. And she said, oh, I've, got, I've got something in my car, I'm sure I can go and find some money. And she'd put, so the queue carried on, and it, the person in front just had a cup of tea, and then it came Sarah and myself, and I said, I'm going to pay for myself, I'd like to pay for that other lady as well. And, um, and he's like, oh, really? So, yeah, so I paid for her. And then we went, Sarah and I disappeared off, and we, we, we went and sat somewhere completely out. This woman came back, apparently was gobsmacked that someone had paid for her. She did not get it. And I said to the guy, don't tell her who it was, but he did, he told her. And she came, this woman came and sought us out in the garden, and she said, why would you do that? And I just turned to her and said, well, I didn't know. It was one of those moments where I didn't really know what to say, but I was a bit embarrassed that she'd found us. I said, well, God loves you. She just started crying. And in, in a beautiful way, in that moment, it was one of those moments where somehow God managed to kind of connect the story up for her. I'd, I'd often much rather those stories were secret and she didn't know, it was just a blessing. But in that moment, she knew there was a God who really loved her. And it was a real divine moment. You know in those moments when you feel a holy moment where you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit? She was an elderly woman just started crying. She's like, oh, but I'm, 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 there's so much wrong in my life. And we were able to share a bit about God's grace and God's love. Just beautiful, beautiful moments. Can we be generous like that? Not just in church, but outside of church, in our lives. To think creatively. What can you do secretly to bless someone in this congregation who has need? Let's lend our cars. Let's use our houses. Let's do food. Let's be creative. Let's help those that haven't got enough, got, who are tight on resources. It's not just always about the big financial gestures. It's sometimes the small things that are a real blessing. And the last thing I want to say is this. Number five, sacrifice and cost. I think for us as human beings, I'm not talking about the church specifically, for us as human beings, often we're incredibly selfish, and that's the root of our problem often, tied up with fear and all sorts of other things. And Jesus, I think, makes the link between our wallets, our wallets and our hearts. I think there is often a link between our wallets and our hearts. We get anxious, we become self-centered, we think about my needs, my constraints. How we spend our resources, how we use our resources, how we use the blessings that we have financially in other ways, I often think does reveal something about us. And I think what's really important is for us to understand that actually all things do come from God. And God is incredibly generous to us. And it's not whether it's about you giving 10% or 8% or 91%. The actual figure is not really relevant. It's about our heart's response to God. Because God will ask us to give different things in different seasons. Some of you here probably are giving too much, maybe. Or some of you here are maybe not giving enough. And that's between you and God. It's nothing to do with me. God asks you to give whatever's in your heart. And it's a conversation that I'd encourage you to have with God. There's that lovely verse in the scripture that says, God loves a cheerful giver. <laughs> when you look around church, often people in churches dropping coins into plates as they come around. <laughs> people don't look very che cheerful about it, if I'm honest. In fact, the, the Greek word, and it, it's often misused in the translation, but the Greek word is God loves a hilarious giver. That word we kind of use now is hilarious. Now, I'm not necessarily advocating that we 
as the bowl comes around in church, we start whooping and high-fiving each other and rolling around in the aisles laughing. <laughs> as we place our car keys and wallets into the thing. But I do believe genuinely that there is a real joy in giving. I mean, sometimes it's amazing to be able to give, to bless someone. Sometimes you see the fruit of that, sometimes you don't. But I love to give, I do. I'm not bigging myself up as a great example because there's times when I, I hold back. But actually, I have genuinely discovered the joy of giving. I love being generous. Sometimes I'm foolish in it and foolhardy, probably. Sometimes there's sacrifice and costing giving. Sometimes I think actually that almost is being asked of us. Because you see, when God gave, it cost him the most precious thing. It gave, he gave the best. He didn't give second best. He gave of himself. He watched his son die on a cross. There was cost. And I think there is sacrifice in giving. And sometimes we have to ask the question, if there's not sacrifice and cost in my giving sometimes, then maybe I'm not giving in the right way. Or maybe I'm not giving enough. I want to read this quote by C.S. Lewis. I don't want to over-labour it because I think we have to be really careful around these things so that people don't feel manipulated. But C.S. Lewis, who's a man I really respect spiritually in terms of his reading and writing, I think he wrote something which is challenging. It really challenges me, but I think it's interesting. C.S. Lewis wrote this. If our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we're probably giving away too little. If our charities, so he means, this is kind of old language, if our giving away to God, if our charity does not pinch or hamper us, I would say that they're too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do because of our charitable expenditure excludes them. That's, that's tough, eh? Hey? But I think there's an element to that that I think is really helpful. What he's saying is there should be a cost. And then it's not so much about the amount, but it's about our response to it. The woman who gave that one coin... The poor widow's mite. That was a massive amount for her. Financially, it may not have paid for a new roof, but actually there was such beauty in her giving because it cost her a lot. If you're a millionaire, probably 10% of your money is probably, although it might be sort of painful, actually isn't very much. But if you're on an income of 10 or 11,000, 10% is a massive amount of money. So that's the problem with setting specific figures. Because a millionaire should probably be giving a lot more than 10%. And someone who's on 10,000 should probably be giving a lot less than 10%, perhaps, unless God is really asking it of them. But I think perhaps there should be a cost. Because the, com- the comparative generosity of Christ, he gave so much. I was reminded of this song. We sung it many years. <clears throat> Jesus, what can I give? What can I bring to so faithful a friend, to so loving a king? Saviour, what can be said, what can be sung as a praise to your name for the things you've done? Oh, my words could not tell, not even in part, the debt of love that is owed by this thankful heart. So, Father, my time, my gifts, my resources, my family, my house, my car, my cars, all I have, all I am, my agenda, my priorities, my prejudices, my wallet, 
Lord, I want a place on the altar. Because everything I have comes from you. It all belongs to you. And you're so generous and gracious back to me. Will you teach us to be a people of generous hearts? To give with joy. To give with creativity. To give with love. Trusting that you're the God that provides for us. That you're the God that meets our need. Speak to us in the secret places of our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.